This is What's Next In with Phil and Leora. A podcast about what is changing and how we can be ahead of it. Join us as we test each other's perspectives and explore new ideas through science and behavior. Today on the pod, we have Masha Tager, who is a PhD candidate in microbiology and immunology at McGill University. Masha is an expert in the microbiome space and has spent over six years studying how microscopic organisms affect our health. Ooh, sounds sciencey. I'm excited to dive in and see what this means for us as humans. Hello, everyone. I am so, so excited with our very special guest today, and I'm so excited that we have a chance to chat all about her incredible research and as she's wrapping up her PhD, as well as what this means for humanity. So that's my really quick overview. But maybe before we jump in too, too much, Masha, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Leora and Phil, for having me. It's super exciting. And the first question we like to ask our guests before we jump into what you're all about is just taking a step back and asking you to provide us the origin of your name. What's your name all about? Um, so I guess what I'll share is, so my name's Masha, but that's the Russian version for Maria, or mm. I guess Maria is the English version of Masha because <laughs> the name I was given was Masha. But Maria for me is spelled with two eyes. And people Ooh. always ask me about that because it's weird, like a weird spelling. And the answer I like to give is that it's been lost in translation because <laughs> wow. what happened was we were a family of Russians um, emigrating out of Russia into Germany, but we had to have our names translated into English because that's like becoming the global language. Right. But the rules for translating names at the time was through French standards. Oh, so it was what? a German official talking to Russian immigrants, translating a Russian name through French linguistics into an English name. So all our names got um, jumbled, a little bit jungled. Yeah. And now I'm Maria with two eyes. That's so cool. What a unique backstory, though. That's I should rename my name to Phil with two eyes. You're going to make it a thing. Let's make two eyes. Yeah, a thing. That's amazing. From now really on, cool. Phil, you'll have two eyes. Actually, <laughs> I, you know what? It's so funny. I've known Masha for my whole life, and I didn't even really know that. But what's interesting is I have the same story where when we immigrated, my name is classically spelled L-E, but um, mm. due to misspelling and us not really knowing English, I suppose, it's now L-I. Another so, I. Another, there, there was a thing with the eyes, Phil. You need an extra I in your name. When in doubt, just add an I. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so Masha, tell me, tell us all, what do you spend your days doing and what are you doing next? Uh, so I'm a PhD candidate right now in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at McGill. So I spend my days thinking about the bacteria that live in your intestines, in your gut, and how, what they do and how that could affect your health and how their changing activity could affect your health. So, hmm. um, you know, like the easiest answer at a party is like, oh, I work with poop every day, <laughs> <laughs> which like was really fun to joke around about the first two or three years. But now that it's like year six or seven of working on the gut microbiome, I'm kind of over the poop jokes, but they're, um, a good place to start of saying what I do every hmm. day. <laughs> so for our listeners who don't know that much about the gut microbiome, which I was watching like a cool video the other day 
And I learned about this too. It's like a whole new world that we don't really understand. And there's like, okay, let's break that down. Gut microbiome. Can you tell us, you know, what is the gut microbiome and what happens in the gut microbiome? Yeah. So the gut, you know, it's your small intestine and your large intestine. Um, but mostly we think about the large intestine as the gut and the microbiome. So the micro basically just means it's organisms that are so small, like you can't see them with the naked eye. You need a microscope there. Oh God, they're one micron in size. So that's one millionth of a meter. Um, like pretty small. <laughs> I'm so worried I'm wrong with that now. Okay, so. <laughs> tiny, tiny microorganisms that live inside your gut and they're a community, right? So you have hundreds of species living there and they're all interacting with one another hmm. or like feeding off, they're like breaking down the food and then providing into smaller foods for another bacteria to eat or they group together and they form like long chains so that they can attach to different things. So different things, meaning like the side of your gut or to a large food particle, for example. Mm -hmm. So they really, they work together to, to live in a community that like sustains itself. And that impacts you as a person because they're inside of you and have, and like their breakdown products have an impact on your health. Hmm. So that's really, so we have these like little microbes that are super, super, super small. And they're like these little factory workers that basically take the food or whatever comes out of the stomach, breaks it down, extracts its nutrients, and they all work together in harmony or maybe not in harmony, depending on what you eat, I guess. Exactly. Um, okay, cool. And so tell, tell us, like, why, why is this important? Like, what impacts do these little colonies of microorganisms have on us? And I just want to say, isn't it just, does anyone else there feel really weird that there's like a whole colony of like little living things inside you that are just it like is. working around? It's you know crazy what? To think about. To make you feel weirder, you have as many microbial cells in your gut as you have human cells in your whole body. Like on okay. a cell to cell ratio, you're as microbial as you are human. I what? had no idea. And that's crazy. And now I'm very conscious of my guts. <laughs> Hope my listeners are happy with that. In terms of genes, they have like a hundred times more genes than our human cells do because every human cell, it's the same DNA. Like your skin cells and I don't know, the liver cells you have, they have the same genome, but every bacteria, every species of bacteria has a different genome. So there's like a hundred times more genes in your gut microbiome than your own cells. Wow. So it really brings into the question, like something that we like to think at like more of like an existential level, like what does it even mean to be human if most of your, the DNA in your body and most of the cells or half of the cells in your body are not even human cells. So mind super weird. Blown My mind is blown. Right <laughs> My mind is blown. And it's crazy to think about because it's, I mean, I am the person on this call who doesn't have a PhD in science and it's <laughs> crazy to think about the level of importance that this has on your health and how you can impact them to support your health. Or if you're not kind of conscious about your health, they can actually be a little bit more detrimental. And these are things that aren't really common knowledge to the average Joe who's eating. Um, and Mash, I'm curious, like, I think Phil was chatting about the impact of, you know, these microbiomes. What can you share with regards to, um, how this impacts like us on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So 
Um, well, why don't I back up first? So I think you're saying that like, it sounds so new to think about all these bacteria that live in our gut and how they're so important to us. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of why it's like, it's a really new and exciting field of research. And I think it's kind of new because we used to always think about microorganisms and about bacteria as things that cause disease. They're infectious yeah. organisms, right? Like if you have a bug in your gut, then you think like, oh, I have food poisoning, right? Yeah. Like I, I have a stomach bug or like, I don't know, you have strep throat, you're sick, mm -hmm. right? So like we always think about bacteria in terms of disease, but we really have to become comfortable knowing that like we have thousands of different species of our gut in our gut and they're all about keeping us healthy. So they're like our friends and they help maintain health rather than like the one few bad guys that are mm. better known, but don't really represent the field of microbiology in general. Interesting. So I'm an advocate for like bacteria are good, not bad. That's so um, cool. It's like heroes and villains. And it's funny how like the vocal minority, this is such a commentary on like society, like the vocal minority um, can be the one, the one that people always know about are the ones that are, are quote unquote bad. The but then fear. the ones that, yeah, exactly. The ones that keep the, the wheels turning and the world spinning, no one knows about them. But if they weren't here, we would all be, I don't know, what would we all be if we didn't have a microbiome? Tell me, Masha, tell me. That's so true. That's such a good like connection. Um, so yeah, the microbiome is super critical to how we are as humans. And we really co-evolved with bacteria. There's never been a human without a microbiome. And, hmm. but we can study what the microbiome does for us really well in mice. Um, we can raise mice in a germ-free environment. So we can raise mice without a gut microbiome at all. Like they're fully sterile. There's not a single bug associated with them. Hmm. Um, so that's really how we've been learning what the gut microbiome does for, for you as the host, for you as humans. And they, the poor mice are like pretty sick. They don't hmm. turn into these healthy adult mice they're basically every organ is affected. Wow. Their liver and spleen are all like tiny and not functioning properly. Their mm. immune system is totally immature and very like inflammatory. So, so they just, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of how to like explain that. Yeah. The mice without a gut microbiome, they they're, they're not doing well and they're not doing well not just that their like stomach isn't working properly, but every organ in their body is not functioning correctly and hasn't matured properly. I think that's fascinating that we have the opportunity to study mice in this completely sterile environment and pull that data, understand what this means for us as humans, because what I'm hearing is it's obviously really important to be exposed to a whole bunch of the world as, as we do. And as we typically, you know, are raised and I'm curious, how does the actual like microbiome within our bodies as we kind of mature, how does that actually help us be healthier? or vice versa, how does it, how can it actually be detrimental to our own health? Yeah. So the main thing the gut microbiome does for us is it breaks down some of the foods we eat into smaller energy sources for the rest of the rest of our body, body, um, <laughs> body. and, um, well, really it's the food we eat that dictates what your microbiome turns it into. Okay. And the food that the bacteria really like to eat are like complex fibers. Hmm. So 
um, things like sugars and fats and proteins, they get absorbed by your stomach and by your small intestine right, right, right away. That's basic human physiology. But fiber, we don't have a way to break down fiber, um, but our bacteria do. So fiber gets through our whole stomach, our small intestine. We can't break it down, but it gets into the large intestine where our bacteria are, and they have like this huge repertoire of genes that can break down these complex fibers into smaller and smaller fibers that like the next bacteria eats and then the next bacteria hmm. eats eventually to the point where it's something that our gut can absorb and transport throughout our body. And so that like involves like liver functioning, brain functioning. Um, it helps both maintain and suppress our appetite. So mm -hmm. like how hungry we are can, can be dictated by what the bacteria break down our fiber into. Um, they help maintain our insulin response. So uh, it's really important in like metabolic disease metabolic diseases like diabetes. Um, the, the fiber degradation is like such a big role that about, they say 10% of all like the calories that we extract from our diet is from our microbiome. So they're wow. really important in like giving us energy to the point that like all the studies we do with microbiome are really done in mice because that's the easiest way to manipulate things. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you feed a mouse a high, like a high fat diet and you feed a mouse, like a regular healthy diet. And that mouse that has the high fat diet, this is going to sound really strange, but like one of the best ways that we can do like causal inference of the gut microbiome is to transplant the microbiome from one mouse into another mouse. <laughs> so it's called a fecal transplant. So you take the poop from one mouse, feed right. it to another mouse and then see if that mouse, what happens to that mouse. Right. And then you could really say that, like, okay, that effect was caused by the microbiome. So if you take the poop from a, a, an overweight mouse and feed and feed it to another mouse, that mouse starts to become overweight. And that's because those bacteria are a lot better at extracting resources from your food, extracting the calories from your food. This is so oh. fascinating. This is <laughs> why our mouths are wide open as we are like exploring yeah, is... a whole new world. And I, 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 I'm like, oh, I'm a scientist. I know science. This is stuff I've never heard before. Well, I mean, I've had an inkling of, but this is so cool. I, I, so I have a question and I'm sorry, Leo, this is get a little sciencey. Let's do but, it. Um, <laughs> the, the, the colony population of the, uh, the gut microbiome, this really goes down to like one, where did it come from? And two, how has it changed? So, you know, by, by virtue of your diet, let's say you eat something that is, has a lot of fiber in it then wouldn't that predispose your gut microbiome to repopulate microbes that like lots of fiber and therefore change things more and more? So I guess like when you're born, what is it like, what are your default microbiome? Where does it come from? And then second, how does changing your eating habits change the population of a microbiome and therefore change you? Yeah. Yeah. So how you acquire your microbiome, that's been like a key question and it's, the microbiome, like the first two years of life, follows a really important and distinct succession. And it's really important because we know that that microbiome when you're an adult or, or throughout your whole life, like it does so much for you maintaining health. And when it's, when your microbiome gets thrown out of whack, it's associated with a lot of disease. So there's a lot of interest in maintaining it in a very balanced and like pro-health diverse community. And that's all about 
those first few years are super critical in establishing that. So when a, so you acquire your microbiome basically as soon as you're born. Um, and that's really, you, you get your mom's microbiome through, um, through the birth canal. So babies that are mm. born vaginally have a different microbiome than babies that are born via C-section. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because the bacteria that you're exposed to are very, very different. So like if you're born naturally, then you have the same bacteria that are present along the birth canal. But if you're born by C-section, then they actually find bacteria that are like found in the skin and in the room in general that you had your C-section in. Wow. So like the starting community is very, very different. Wow. And then it depends a lot on like, if you are breastfed versus formula fed in those first few months also are super, super critical in like how the community is shaped. And then how many antibiotics the baby has is also super critical. And then it's all about kind of environment and just um, being, being exposed to different bacteria as you age and different diets as you age. And, you know, typically by like five years, it matters a lot less how you're born. If you're born by C-section or, or if you're born by natural birth, because eventually the diet and the environmental factors have play a larger role in what your mm. microbiome looks like. Um, yeah. So, so how, how your microbiome is formed as, as you're born really dictates how it progresses, but eventually like, it's such a, like a modulable is that a word modulable? It is now. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that, that can be changed by valuable, right? perhaps. Valuable. Yeah. So, um, and that's just to put emphasis that it's not like new moms already have such a hard time in trying to do everything that's right for their baby. So I'm always super careful when I talk about like where your microbiome comes from, mm. because yeah, we know it's things like delivery mode and breastfeeding versus not that have an effect later in life, but they're not be all end all mm -hmm, in telling mm -hmm. you what your microbiome is going to look like and how that's going to affect the health of your kid. So it's a nature guess, versus nurture argument, mm -hmm. right? It's like how much of it is, are you born with and, and how much of it is impacts of your environment in later in life. And uh, yeah, so that's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I think that actually gets to one of the things that I think is most important to take away about the gut microbiome or like the coolest thing is that it's such a, a feedback and it's such a result of your environment. It's a feedback mm. of what you eat and where you are. So it's things that it's something that you can change. So, you know, you can change your diet and you can change your gut microbiome. It's these thousands of genes you can modulate and you can change them to like improve your health somehow. We can't change our human genes. We don't have like gene editing is not something we can do right now, but we soon not yet, but soon we could probably find a way to actually modulate the microbiome and move away from diseases like inflammatory bowel disease or colon cancer or um, like allergies and asthma and eczema and um, like liver disease are like the six most strongly associated. Wow. And I think this is a really good segue to then what's next in the research of, you know, the microbiome. If there's one takeaway that, you know, this conversation so far had on me is that the microbiome really impacts every single part of yourself as a being. From your example with the mice, you can see that, you know, if your micro, if your mouse is, you know, living in a completely sterile environment that has complete effects on not only its microbiome, but all of its organs and how its health and being comes about. And I'm curious, Masha, what do you think is kind of the 
you kind of just touched on it, but love to hear more about what's next in the research for microbiome and how this is going to help humanity. So what's next in like the research side of things is there's a really strong push to look at the function of the community. Like what are these bacteria actually doing? Because a lot of the effort in the past 10, 20 years has been trying to understand who is there, what bacteria are present. But what we're learning more and more is that like bacteria can have different roles in different people or in different environments, right? So it matters less of what bacteria are present and more of what they're doing. We want to look at function rather than presence or absence of a species. But that's that's in terms of the research side of it. In terms of the, what this means for for people and and human health, um, the research is going forward. Really, it's we're really entering the stages of like clinical work where we can use mm. um, the microbiome to diagnose disease, to uh, work as like a biomarker to pre um, as a yeah, as a biomarker to identify, like differentiate between two similar diseases, for example. Wow. Um, it can be used to predict um, outcomes. Uh, a really cool example is you can predict the outcome of certain cancer treatments depending on your microbiome. Wow. How, how close to the correlation? Like, what's the R on that? Um, oh, you know, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> That's a specific um, question. It all has to, no, it's, it's fine. It's fair. Um, it's always about that R because like, you're like, oh, there's a correlation. And then sometimes I look at the graph and it's like an R squared of two. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like, I guess you're not wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's okay. The cancer example, they find that there's a, a certain species of bacteria in your gut that can actually, um, it takes your cancer drug and it can either um, activate it or deactivate it. So they're seeing a lot of people just weren't responding to this one cancer drug. And they started sequencing their microbiome and they found this one bacteria that was um, deactivating it. So mm. just by breaking it down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you can start to, if you can sequence people's microbiomes and see what bacteria are present before you give them this treatment, you can have an idea of if the treatment is going to work or not. Um, and there's a few examples of that. And the easier examples are ones when the bacteria is actually involved in activating the drug. And that's a great example because you can sequence the people's microbiome to see if they have this bacteria, if they don't have this bacteria, you give them a probiotic of this bacteria along with the drug mm -hmm, to make mm -hmm. sure it'll work. Mm -hmm. right? So like, there's some really direct lines like like these examples that we're finding that I think like clinically, we need to start really applying this. Um, and we need to take like the low hanging fruit and really start bringing it to the public so that we can really convince people that like, there's a lot of potential with this and there's good we can do right now with this. This is so cool. Um, but I want to ask, like take a devil's advocate approach here. I'm sure there's some folks who are gonna listening out there who are, you know, think that, nature-based, organic, make sure that, you know, we do things. So I guess the question is, um, how, what do you say to people who say, we shouldn't be touching our microbiome, we shouldn't be trying to augment it, we shouldn't be trying to mess around with stuff like that because that's not our place. What do you say to those people? You know, that's, that's an interesting question, but that's people who think like, what's nature's nature and we shouldn't touch it. That'll apply to things like beyond just modulating the microbiome, right? 
like at least the microbiome, it's already a community within us that is responding to all sorts of um, like uh, inputs from around from around us. So I think it's one of the things that we can kind of control and change without introducing too much like unorganic chemical things. But also it's an argument that's that I, I don't really know how to talk about because I'm like a very strong advocate for science and for like evidence-based approaches. And just because something's not organic, I don't think that is a key thing. Um, and I think medicine is much more regulated than natural products are. So I would go for something that's FDA approved any day over a natural herbal supplement. But I think that's kind of away from the point of this podcast. It's another podcast episode to come. Yeah. It totally is. But uh, it's no surprise that I am in complete agreement with you. <laughs> <laughs> what would be the like one or two things that you would recommend to our listeners um, to help them make sure that they have a healthy microbiome set within, within their own family, within their own self? What is something that they can do to make sure that they're on track to do the right things? Yeah, so the easy answer for that for me is to say to eat more fiber. Like <laughs> the, I'd say from the start and end of my PhD, the one thing I've done in terms of changing my lifestyle is eating more fiber. And that's, and that's the only thing. I don't take probiotics on a daily basis and I don't do, um, yeah, probiotics are like the main wave right now when you when you when people think about microbiome research and something i was really nervous about with this podcast is the field is really really exciting because there's so much potential but it's really important to distinguish between like hype versus hope mm -hmm. so you know there's a lot of hype out there like you can actually send samples to a company that will sequence them and tell you your what your gut microbiome looks like and then they'll start to give you health advice based off that. Hmm. But you know, this evidence, the scientific evidence isn't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, these companies are questionable to say the least, mm -hmm. right? So I don't want to give anyone any kind of promise. Like the research just isn't there yet. We just don't know. There's a lot of potential, but anyone who tells you that like, oh, you have this bacteria in your gut, therefore you must do this. The, science, the evidence isn't behind them. Yeah. Yeah. But one simple thing that I am confident about is, is eat more, is eating more fiber, help, help the good bacteria, help them out. This week, we talked with Masha about her research and insight into the world of the human microbiome and its effects on our health. We talked about the hundreds of thousands of diverse little factory workers inside your digestive system that break down and help you be you. And we talked about the benefits of good bacteria and how our environment influences how well these bacteria can work. Our What's Next In was... How understanding the impact of the microbiome on our health can protect us from disease and help us live healthier and longer lives. 
and how the dangers of falling for scientific hype and the challenges of balancing scientific hope. What do you think is what's next in the food you'll eat to have a healthy gut?